Let's read our psalm for this morning, um, Psalm 49. And in a moment, Andy Diggins is going to be speaking to us. Psalm 49. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a, a psalm. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. So that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die. That the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. But the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendour of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendour will not descend with them. Though while they live they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like beasts that perish. Let's pray before Andy speaks. Father, thank you that we can read this psalm this morning. We pray that you would speak powerfully to each of our hearts as we meditate on these words and reflect on what Andy shares with us now. Lead us on, we pray. Amen. Andy, thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's my privilege to be able to share with you Psalm 49 uh, this morning. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, sometimes I listen to a sermon 
And I think to myself afterwards, you know, that wasn't for me, and I'm kind of hoping it was for someone else. I think, by the way, that says more about me than it says about the sermon. But please don't make that mistake this morning. Look at verses 1 and 2. See how the psalmist sets up this psalm. It says, if you are someone who lives in this world, this is for you. No mistakes there. And as if to emphasise the point in verse 2, it says, it doesn't matter if you're high or low or rich or poor, this is for you. I hope we, each one of us can take that, uh, just take that to heart this morning. This psalm is for you. And when I began to think about this psalm, it struck me very powerfully that this is a song. Like all psalms, it's a song. And it was as if God was saying to me, Andy, here is a song that you can sing. Again, in these very strange times, you might say to me, I just don't feel like singing a song. Maybe this virus which is stalking the world, maybe you're suffering because of it. Maybe you've lost an income or lost a job or, or lost some feelings of, of security. Maybe it's messing with your mind and you just say to me, I just don't feel like singing. And what about those poor people in Beirut who just a few days ago, literally in a flash, lost loved ones, lost homes, lost jobs, lost a way of life in an instant. Are you really saying to me, they might say, that you want me to sing a song? Well, I am saying that this is a song. And all I can say is that God laid this on my heart very powerfully, that this is a song that we can sing. It's a song that lifts our view from the horizons which we see every day to a new horizon. And it's very pertinent for me personally most of you in the church family will know that, well, it's getting on for a couple of years now, we discovered that my dear wife, uh, of more than 40 years marriage, has a condition which has already robbed her of some faculty and failing a miracle just promises worse to come. Uh, I don't feel like singing. Can I, I feel I ought to just break off here and just say, Thank you so much to those of you who routinely pray for us, hold us up in your prayers. It means everything to us. And I don't know where we would be without those prayers, but I know we'd be worse off than where we are today. So thank you so much for praying. But the point I was trying to make is this, that we live in circumstances where we don't feel like singing. And yet here is God saying to us this morning, here is a song that you can sing. And it helped me to, as I studied this, to realise that there's something different about this psalm to Psalm 48 and 47 and 46 that we've been looking at uh, over the past few weeks. And that main difference is when it was written. This may not mean anything to you, but... 
um, Psalm 46 and Psalm 47 and Psalm 48, we are told, were written before the exile. Psalm 49, the scholars think, was written after the exile. Now, we don't have time to go too much into what this exile was all about. But it was one of the gravest times in the history of the Jewish nation. It happened just a, just a shade under 600 years before Jesus came. Uh, when Judah, where the people of Israel lived uh, at that time, was absolutely conquered by the power of the day, the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and the Babylonians killed many people. And more than that, they split families by taking those people who they thought would be useful to their empire, they took them away into exile. And so families were split. And I suppose it culminated in, in the year 586 BC when Jerusalem, their beloved city, was completely destroyed. And more than that, the temple, the temple which meant everything to them, the temple that to them was the place where God himself made his home. We, we can't really understand that concept, but to them it was everything the temple that Solomon had built, that had stood on that hill in Jerusalem for more than 430 years, had been destroyed. And it helped me to see that when these words were written, the psalmist knew what loss was. And yet he could still present to us a song to sing. Well, let's unpack it a little bit. We've done verses 1 and 2, uh, emphasising that this is for everyone. Verses 3 and 4... Um, strange language, but really the psalmist is saying, I am solving a riddle. It's a mystery. It's a mystery to me why you can't see this, the psalmist says. But, but I know what the answer is to this riddle, and it's so important that you know it too. And so listen to my words. These are words of wisdom, he says. These are words that will give you understanding. Well, what is this riddle? Well, the riddle is woven through the whole of this psalm. And in a nutshell, the riddle is this. The psalmist is saying to those who lived in that day, why, oh why, oh why, do you keep looking at the rich, at the wealthy, and saying to yourself, I want to be like them, that's the answer to everything in life, or getting so upset because of the way that the rich treat you? Why do you do it? He's got the answer to the riddle because he says the answer to this riddle is so simple. If you think about it, where are they now? Well, they're in the graveyards. All of these people, at one time or another, they will die. Even, even the very rich, the ones, verse 11 says, who've had lands named after them, they're in the tombs. Verse 14 says their graves are far from their princely mansions. All of my life I've lived either in Red Hill or Vygate. I could take you to Red Hill today. I could take you to Monson Road. I could take you to Colebrook Road. I could take you to Ladbrook Road. I could take you to Coleman Way. All of these roads named after the great and the good, so to speak, who once occupied the grand mansion house of Gatton Park. 
Mr Coleman, I guess, being the most famous. He made his money out of mustard, you may remember. Or I could take you to another place, which is another school, um, Dunotter School, and used to be just a mansion house owned by Mr Waterlow. I could take you two streets away from the school and show you where Waterlow Road is. Or I could take you to Vygate. I could take you to Summers Road. I could take you to Somerset Road. Two, na- two roads named after the lords and ladies who once occupied what we now know as the Vygate Priory Pleasure Grounds. Or I could take you to Howard Road in Vygate. The most famous member, I guess, of the Howard family is Catherine Howard, one of the wives of Henry VIII. But there was a time in history when the Howard family owned the whole of Vygate. I could take you to those roads, those people who've had lands named after them. Would you like to meet the people? I could take you to them as well. Why? Because then, now, as then, they're in the cemeteries. I could show you where they lay. Far, verse 14 says, from their princely mansions. It's all doom and gloom, isn't it? And we've had the psalm read to us, and if you go through those 20 verses of the psalm, what you will find is that 19 of those 20 verses are pretty bleak, are pretty dark. 19 of those 20 verses speak of death and decay, of tombs, and of graves. Wow. (laughs) That doesn't sound like the song to sing. But it isn't. What the psalmist is doing is setting the context for us to see what this song is all about. And the song seems to shine through all of this gloom and all of this darkness. And as I was reading this, it reminded me of the news today. You know, we look at the news or we read the news, we hear it on our radios. And I don't know, if you're like me, you'll say, is there nothing good? Is there no good news? It all seems to be negative. It all seems to be bad. And it can be quite depressing. Well, this is the scene that the psalmist is setting. 19 out of the 20 verses are negative, speaking of this death and decay, etc., But he says to us, he says to those people then, he says to us today, there is a song that you can sing. I think it's time that I went on to the song, isn't it? And the song we find in verse 15. And what a song it is. This is the song that lifts our horizons, that lifts our eyes from what we see around us to what is coming. Verse 15, look at it with me. God will redeem my soul from the grave and he will surely take me to himself. That's the song that God presents before us this morning. That's the song that God would say, I believe, to all of us, no matter what our circumstances are. This is a song that we can sing. God will redeem my soul from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Now there is a danger. There's a danger that when we start thinking about the life to come, the life after this one, 
something in us makes us do what the people were doing back then when the psalmist wrote these words. And that is, we start to compare ourselves with other people. We look at the horrendous things which are going on in the world, particularly in other countries, or we think about the great evil that, we, that is perpetrated day after day, and something in us says, we're not like that. We are good people. We're trying to live good lives. I try to be kind. I try to be generous. I try to be honest. I try to be fair. And the danger is that something in us convinces us that when we think of the life to come, we think, well, surely we're going to be all right. We're going to be fine. The psalmist doesn't leave us any room for thinking like that. Look at verses 7 to 9. 7 to 9 says, they're so clear. The psalmist says, no one can pay God a ransom for anyone else. No one can do it. And when it comes to paying God a ransom for a life, the psalmist goes on to say with great insight, the cost is just too high. No payment is ever enough. Now, you may say to me, hang on, that's not quite right. Because I can remember times when people have been taken hostage uh, and a ransom has been demanded and it has been paid and the person has been released. Ah, oh, that's not what the psalmist is talking about here. Yes, certainly that has happened. Uh, and that maybe has deferred the death of the person who was taken hostage. But that person, sometime after their release... They still died. That isn't what the psalmist is talking about now. Look particularly at verse 9. When you look at verse 9, you realise that they're talking about a life that will go on forever. A life for that person that would mean that that person, would, their body would not decay. This is clearly not the life and death that we know, but eternal life that will go on forever. And by faith, the writer of this psalm knew, by faith he knew that God could redeem his life from the grave. More than that, by faith he knew that God would redeem his life from the grave. But he didn't have the whole picture. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He just knew that it would happen. There was this missing piece. Now we're in, in the fortunate position of, of, being, of standing in a different place in history, whereas the writer of the psalm was looking forward to a time that was unknown. We, on this side of history, can look back. I could have taken you to so many verses in the New Testament uh, about this, but I want just to take you to just use a passage as an illustration in Mark and chapter 10. In Mark and chapter 10, I've chosen this passage because it shows that even the closest followers of Jesus, and here we're talking about James and John, they sometimes still think like the people back then to whom the psalmist was writing Psalm 49. 
If you look at Mark in chapter 10, you'll find that it is absolutely clear that James and John know that the Lord Jesus will redeem their souls from the grave. They are absolutely certain of the life to come, the glory that is going to be theirs and which they are going to share with their saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of that there is no doubt. They knew it as a certainty. But status somehow was still important to them. And in this conversation that they're having with Jesus, they ask him, when we are with you in glory, can we have some good positions? Can one of us sit on your left hand and one of us sit on your right hand? It's strange how status somehow seems important uh, to us. And Jesus said quite rightly to them, you, you don't know what you're asking. And he said some other things, but Mark then tells us that, and I guess because Jesus wanted to get this across to everyone because it was so important, he breaks off just talking to James and to John and he invites all his disciples, all his followers who were there in that room. He gathers them round so that they all could hear what he was going to say next. And it was this, Mark in chapter 10, he says... Even the Son of Man, that is the name that Jesus gave to himself, it's a picture of Almighty God coming to us in truly human form. God with us. It's amazing. But he was saying, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. That's amazing, isn't it? Surely if anyone should be served... Shouldn't it be the almighty God who has come to us where we are? But he says the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And this is the missing piece to the riddle. And to give his life a ransom for many. That's the ransom that the psalmist didn't know about. He knew it was going to be a very, very costly ransom. He knew that no payment could ever cover this ransom to God for the life of another. But he didn't know about Jesus. And we do. And here is Jesus saying to his closest followers that he was the one who would give his life as a ransom for many. And that gives me such confidence as I think of the future. I genuinely can stand before you this morning and say I'm not worried about the grave. I'm not worried about the grave because the Lord Jesus has already been in the grave on my behalf. I'm not worried about my life to come because I know that the same power that raised Jesus to life from death, that same power will raise my life. Jesus, my saviour, will redeem my life from the grave, my soul from the grave, and God will surely take me to be with himself. It was something that, that Peter knew about, another one of the close followers of the Lord Jesus, when he was thinking about this redemption uh, and he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, he says, look, it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold by which we are redeemed. 
It's so strange, isn't it? He, he talks about silver and gold as if they're nothing, as if they're trivial, as if they're perishable. And yet the people back then were spending all of their time and efforts trying to accumulate more silver and more gold. And dare I say, the people today spend so much time trying to accumulate these things, the silver and the gold. And Peter says it's not with these perishable things by which we are redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Christ. To end, I'd like to go back to the Psalms. There's another Psalm uh, which paints a very similar picture to the one that we've been thinking about this morning. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 was written by the greatest king that Israel has ever known, King David. And he knew something about his life being redeemed from the grave as well. And he, he, he draws a different picture, but for us, he's setting a very similar scene and saying it's a, and a, and a very similar message. He says in Psalm 40 that the Lord heard his cry. And, and that's important because I've been talking about redemption I've been talking about this song that God can give us to sing, this song that where we can sing with absolute certainty that God will rescue my soul from the grave and will surely bring me to himself. But of course, that's only if we've asked him to. And that's reflected in this Psalm 40 when, when, uh, when David says that the Lord heard my cry. There has to be that relationship. There has to be that point in our lives when we cry out to him, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what is bringing us down, to see that we must cry to him to establish that relationship. And then the picture that David paints is one of having his feet stuck in the clay. It's the same message as Psalm 49, really. When the psalmist is saying, when he says no one can pay a ransom to God for the life of another, he's saying that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's what, that's what David is saying by this, when he says he lifted me out of the pit, out of the miry clay. What he was saying is God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I was stuck in one place. I couldn't lift myself up, but he lifted me up. And he says that he put his feet, uh, he gave me a firm place for my feet on which to stand. A firm place. And that is this. That is the word of God. I think it was just a couple of weeks ago when Dan was sharing with us that verse in Matthew chapter 24. When the Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word of God is a sure foundation. These words that we think about this week, last week, the week before, next week, these are so important because we're saying to folk, this is a foundation on which you can stand. This is a foundation on which you can build your life. You can put your weight on it. It is not going to move. And maybe that's a message that we need to hear in these days of such uncertainty. But then David says in his Psalm 40, not only has he given me a firm place to stand, but he has put a new song in my mouth. The message to David back then was the same as the message to all of us today. God has given us a song 
and it's a song that we can sing no matter what's happening in our lives. It takes us above those things, however difficult they are. It takes us above those things. It's a song that we can sing if we know the Lord Jesus. How can we sing it? Why can we sing it? Well, John wrote about it in John and chapter 3. For God so loved us that he gave his only son, that whosoever, can you see how we're back to where we started? Psalm 49 was going out of its way to say, this is for you, whoever you are, if you live on this world, in this world, this is for you. So John in John chapter 3 says, whosoever, it's open to all of us, whosoever believes in him, that doesn't mean just believes in his existence. Uh, everyone ought to do that, given, uh, given uh, all the evidence. But it means having a belief in what he has done at the cross. Whosoever believes, trusts in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's been such a privilege for me to spend time thinking about this psalm. And I've been blessed as God has said to me, Andy, this is a song that you can sing. And it's made me want to share it. I want to share it with my wife. I want to say, Maureen, here is a song that we can sing together. I want to share it with my family. I want to share it with my friends. I want to share it with all of you who have tuned in this morning. Here is a song that we can sing if we have come and cried to the Lord Jesus. God will redeem our souls from the grave and will surely take us to be with himself. May this psalm refresh us and bless us this morning. God bless us.